This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Kids in Australia could be the first generation in history to have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. Let's take a moment for that to digest. That's a frightening fact that's just come out from a report released today in the Australian Centre for Disease Control and their report, Highway to Health Report. And the Australian Centre for Disease Control has recently been established, it was an election promise, to try and improve our ongoing response and our preparedness for either current or emerging public health emergencies. So today we'll try and learn more about the role of that centre, what it can achieve, and now given some of the alarming information out of this report, just how important this centre could be. Because the report goes on to say a few things, but in particular, here's something that I want to highlight. It says Australian governments aren't doing enough to stop chronic disease before it starts. Instead, we're sleepwalking into a sicker future that will condemn millions of Australians to living with avoidable disease and disability. That rising chronic disease isn't inevitable, but changing the course means shifting the focus from sickness to health and that more than 80% of a person's health is caused by factors outside of healthcare and all of those factors can be changed. There is no sugarcoating in this report. So today, how can we change our sickness, how can we change our system rather from sickness to health? And if the underlying message of this important report is to invest in prevention, how do we do that? Is preventing in disease about access to health or education around health or both? And whose responsibility is it? Can we change the course that we're on so that kids in Australia will not be the first generation in history to have a shorter life expectancy than us? What does prevention look like? What programs in your community, your school or your workplace are you implementing to improve your health? And can we reverse this prediction? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt and joining you this hour, Dr Sandro DeMaio, CEO of Vic Health. This report is confronting, Sandro, and it feels like a wake-up call. And I guess my first concern is we hear reports all the time, new report on this, new report on that. Some of the information on the life expectancy of children, the amount of chronic disease that we have in this country and how preventable it is, is relatively frightening. It is, yeah. So this is a new report from the Grattan Institute, and it's really focusing on this election promise that uh, the Albanese government made before the election last year around establishing a new Australian Centres for Disease Control, so a federal body overlooking kind of how do we actually move our system to focus on health rather than just treating disease. The centre hasn't been established but is in the process of that happening. And I think now is a really critical time, as the report says, to be thinking, well, how do we wake Mm. up, you know, the government that's asleep at the wheel? How do we start looking at greater spending, but better ideas and wider involvement across the community around ensuring that we're not, we don't have the first generation of, of kids in history ever to live a shorter life expectancy than their parents. The easy solution is to build more hospitals, but I guess that's the same. You could use the same comparison to just building more prisons. Maybe the focus needs to be on ensuring that people, and particularly young people, don't end up in prison or don't end up in our healthcare system. But prevention, it's harder to quantify. It's harder to build. It takes longer. It's easier just to go build a bloody hospital. (laughs) Yeah, look, it, it is easy. It would be easy to think that the answer is more hospitals and that might make a difference today for a short period. But actually, you know, the, what is required is is a national conversation around what is what does good health look like? How do we make sure that good health is not just something that wealthy people in, you know, urban parts of Australia can afford, but actually something that everyone enjoys? And what are the things we need to put in place today that, you know, quite frankly, we should have done 30 years mm-hmm. ago, but the second best time to plant a tree 
apart from 10 years ago is today. <laughs> so let's do it today. Uh, you know, what are the things that we need to put in place? And, and, and it's a hard conversation because there is, there is a disconnect between, there's a lag between the things we do today and them showing impacts on the huge health burden that is now unfolding across the country. One in two Australians live with chronic disease. That's multifold up on just two or three decades ago. We're seeing chronic diseases younger and younger, kids showing signs of heart disease in their teenage years earlier and earlier uh, because of the rise of chronic disease. And we know that most of this is preventable. 11 years, the average Australian lives for 11 years with pain and suffering that is largely preventable at the end of life. All of this has a huge yeah. impact on our health healthcare system, on our economy and on our quality of lives. So how do we prevent it? You're saying that there are things that we can do now, we can do today. What's one? Well, I mean, we're, one of the things we're, we've been doing, which is around tobacco control, really great example. So, you know, range of different responses from government. We've been a world leader uh, in, you know, ratcheting up the price, but also putting many supports in place as we get, as we now achieve one of the lowest uh, rates of tobacco smoking in the world and avoid a huge amount of death and pain and suffering uh, because of that. But there are other things that we need to do. So things like inc improving access to fresh, healthy food. We know that large swathes of, of both east and western seaboards are what we call food deserts, areas where it's actually increasingly difficult to find, access, afford and enjoy good, fresh, healthy food. Now, we're a country that exports twice as much food as we, as we, as we consume. So it's not an issue of growing enough. It's about making sure that everyone is able to access it, particularly those living in regional, uh, rural and outer suburban, and that suburban seem areas. Crazy That's one too, example. When you're talking about not having access to fresh and cheap and affordable produce in regional and rural Victoria, it's like... Isn't that where we grow it? Isn't yeah. that where it's produced? I know that's happening more and more on our urban fringes and we're seeing peri-urban farming happening on a, on a greater scale. But the idea of prevention, it does take a really long time. And if we don't see those immediate results, is that why the funding is not going into it? And when you look at some community initiatives that are being done, okay, one good example would be the Stephanie Alexander Kitchen yeah, Garden amazing Program. program. Okay? Amazing so program. So that's something that everybody knows about now. But when it first started, it was really edgy. Yeah. But it taught a younger generation who went home and taught their kids, <laughs> uh, sorry, taught their parents, parents yep. what is healthy food and how to grow healthy food. Yep. But there's texts here that say, the answer to your question today is simple. People have to understand that there isn't a pill that they can be prescribed to solve every problem. Take responsibility for your own health and don't expect a doctor to do it for you. And others saying, how can we discourage obesity without fat shaming? What does funding prevention look like? How do we turn this ship around so that our children don't lead shorter lives, don't have a shorter life expectancy than we have? They're saying it's not a new problem. Junk food and drinks promoted heavily by supermarkets. Look at all the plastic pouches and yogurts and baby food instead of parents cooking that food. You and I spoke about this off air. Mm. The, the, the sheer access and ease and the marketing around What's going to make your life easier? Mm. And what is healthy is often a blurred line. And we, you and I and Magda have done programs here where sometimes we're actually being health washed. We're being tricked into decisions that were being made. If this is a ship that needs to be turned around, it's Titanic-esque, you know. It is, but but it's it's first of all, it's possible. So there are countries in the world that are doing far better than us. We're the last country in the OECD, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, fancy word for basically a club of countries, um, you know, like 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 for like countries. We're the only one that doesn't have a national centres for disease control, a federal body, a national body that is actually coordinating and having these important conversations. Because I think, Rochelle, the, 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 the importance of this report today mm. is that it reminds us that someone has to take the helm. You know, the, 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 the sort of um, analogy they use of Australia's been asleep at the wheel. Well, who's going to grab the wheel mm. and redirect the traffic or redirect the path we're on? And we, we need some sort of 
a body to do that at the can federal level. Can the new centre do that? Can the new well, centre? That, that's 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 what's up for discussion and up for up for grabs for Australians. And I think that's the significant opportunity. We've got a health department that really you know is focused on maintaining and building a world class healthcare system. You've got you know different silos across government, which is a normal normal way of government. You've got you know the treasury's mm. focused on the budget. You've got the education department focused on the education system. But who's focused sort of at that bigger level thinking, well, how do we, how do we work across the par- all parts of government to really reorient the system to yeah. focus on health, not just the treatment of disease? Although as a doctor, treatment of disease is very important, but we need to get ahead of it. We need to actually, you know, if, if, if the majority, if 90% of Australians die from chronic disease and we know that a lot of that is preventable, why aren't we working harder to prevent disease from happening in the first place? Richard's in Tower Hill. Hi, Richard. Oh, hi there. How are you doing? Well, what did you want to say? Uh, well, I mean, I know it's, you know when there's a, a, a bad, difficult problem, people tend to say there's a simple answer and it's invariably wrong. But I think in this case, this is probably pretty simple in one way or another. And my view is that the first thing any serious government should do is ban all fast food advertising. I mean, that's what happened with tobacco. Well, it's been done in other countries, hasn't it? it? Has, I mean, yeah. tobacco is an interesting one because the people are saying, well, you know, then things like vaping just come up and you've got to look at finding ways to either tax or start a new education campaign around that. But could we possibly in this country, Dr. Sandro DeMeo, <laughs> ban junk food advertising? Well, we've banned advertising completely in the ACT. I don't know if you've ever noticed when you get off the plane in Canberra, there are no billboards. There's I don't no go to Canberra very often. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either, but, but one thing that really struck me was that there's no outdoor advertising and that was a conscious decision not to have you know advertising in in that space in our visual space because they felt that it sort of muddied our national capital except that it's everywhere else so absolutely it's making a difference though well so the united kingdom uh, uh phased out junk food advertising on buses and the public transport network within a year they started seeing a shift in the amount of calories people were consuming so get that kind of get your mind around that. So that, that's that, not even a blanket ban. That's just on public that, transport. That was just on public transport, wow. and they saw a shift in consumption of junk food, like within twelve eighteen months. So it's absolutely possible. It absolutely has uh, an effect. And what we also know is it's where a lot of young people spend time. So we're all in you know on our screens in different places and spaces. It's harder to reach a mass audience, unlike the days of the Life Be In It campaign. You put it on TV, you reach most people. But actually, you know, banning it on things like outdoor advertising... Are we ever going to do that here? ...around schools, on our public transport. Well, I mean... You I th- know people there- in high places, Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I think, I think there is a... I think there's an appetite and... Um, there are certainly governments around Australia looking at it very seriously. Uh, you know, Queensland government was looking at it very seriously, um, and I think as we as we come out of, yeah. so yeah, uh, look, this we, we will continue to push. Right, though, as what can communities do, and what can we do, and what can schools do when something as simple as that? Yeah, we know. Yeah, promoting. I mean, we can't even can be ban changed. promoting the bad stuff, whereas all the the less healthy stuff, you know, on in places and spaces where kids spend a lot of time, Let's even do it. even that's quite difficult to get across the line. But I do have hope for for the Victorian government and across Australia. Tougher things, though, looking at things like, um, you know, increasing the price of sugary drinks and using it to subsidise. Uh, healthier food or to pay for (laughs) dental programs, which, you know, for example, states in the US, Northern Europe um, have done effectively. They're really tough conversations. And, and, you know, the the federal minister in Australia has already categorically said to Magda late last year that a sugar tax uh, is not on the cards. That's $800 million of revenue that we could be putting to universal, you know, school food programs, to boosting Stephanie Alexander program, uh, that we're missing out on, plus the $600 million in the uh, healthcare cost savings of a system that's that's overwhelmed. So we, we do need to have more serious conversations about prevention, about what we're willing to do. It feels like, though, when we were saying what could, what could we do right now, banning advertising, even if it's not across the board, but in certain areas like public transport and around schools, that's something we Seems, can do now. Yeah, it absolutely is, yeah. Jan's in Patterson Lakes. Morning, Jan. Good morning. I'm just going to say that um, 
how different today is to my childhood. Uh, we uh, grew up growing all our own vegetables, and I mean absolutely everything, everything from potatoes to corn to tomatoes. We, uh, we also had chooks, uh, so we had our own eggs. Uh, we didn't have any takeaway food shops. We did have a fish and chip shop, but that was the only thing, and that was a rarity. And the other thing was that there was, um, we didn't have air conditioning. Uh, we had, you know, everything was sort of fresh air and, um, and yes, we just. And so it was hot, you went outside, didn't you? Jan, That's you have pretty of, much just said Summarised. Ex- <laughs> exactly. You were saying, Michelle. Off air, yeah, I was yeah. thinking, we, I didn't eat junk food growing up. And my mum was busy holding down two jobs, right? So, mm. but we just didn't have junk food it wasn't actually available there wasn't mm. a junk food outlet in town if mum was really busy and you know stretched for dinner that night you had wheat bix which yeah. is probably okay all things considered but access to junk food it being promoted as an easy option and as a way out for busy families or for singles and individuals as well that's uh, you know a, a huge part of it murray's on the mornington peninsula morning Morning, guys. Hey, um, I'm a crane manufacturer, and um, obviously you've got some young guys working for me, and I said to them, boys, two minutes noodles are not a food source. So I got a chef to come in, and we did a short course at work at lunchtime. Oh, that's awesome. And it changed their lives. Wow. That's awesome. So when we talk about prevention, Murray, mm. this is... So Great you did example. that. You did that off your own. That was, This was your idea. Oh, absolutely. Um, look, I've got a bit of skin in this game when it comes to food. I also run a foundation for Indigenous kids in Artem Land. So oh, good on you. I'm used to kids only have one meal a day, and I've got a 22-year-old with me at the moment who's an Aboriginal girl who's 48 kilos because she's had one meal a day for most of her life. So mm. in my own workplace, you know, the guys know what I do, and I just... They trusted you. You've got to fall in love with food, guys. That's the secret. And, and so what do they bring to lunch now, Murray? Well, guys, I've got a full kitchen at work, so they can bring whatever they like. Um... One of the guys was doing this Japanese stuff. I, I, I thought he'd just come from another planet all of a sudden. He's just making these incredible soups and udon soups. And uh, and the other guy, Antad, who's no longer with us, he's moved on, but he lost 14 kilos in two months. Wow. Isn't that great? I love that, that you've got a kitchen at work, you've used your initiative to teach them, and that is that will be generational, Murray. Mate, we salute you. Well done. <laughs> investing a lot of money in their wages and in, in 10 years time if one of them gets type 2 diabetes yeah. that's a game changer not just for my business but also for them. And do you, do you think about that in, in terms of the health of your workers and how, how you know I, mean, I suppose at the end of the day if you've got a healthy workforce you've got a healthy business oh, and we've absolutely. got a healthy economy is that something that you think about as well? Absolutely if you think it's just about what you can get out of your employees then you've got it all wrong Yeah. You know, uh, it's it, it's a holistic approach. I mean, if they're happy little campers, your production goes up and they want to stay and you keep training them and you invest in them. But if, if you just think it's about getting them to turn up for work and if they want to have a, a smoke at Smoko and, and go and get a meat pie, then you're wasting their time and you're wasting yours. Murray, thank you so much for calling through. I wonder if there's other workplaces that are doing similar things or maybe it might be that you get a chance to go for a walk at lunchtime rather than scoffing at your desk, which so many of us do, or if you've found a way to look at prevention. And we know that that, like as Murray said, it leads to a healthier workforce. This text that says, an egg on toast is perfectly acceptable for dinner if you're busy looking at other alternatives. Rochelle Hunt and Dr Sandro DeMayo with you. We're looking at how we can change the course that it turns out that we're on, that kids in Australia will be the first generation in history to have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. So how do we bring in prevention? What programs are happening in your community, your school or like with Murray at your workplace? Mm. And how do we reverse this prediction? This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt and Dr Sandro DeMayo with you. An alarming new report has come out today. It's been released by the Grattan Institute and it's looking at the future of our health and the life expectancy of our children. And unfortunately, it's not great and we need to look at how we can reverse this prediction and how important prevention is when it comes to our health outcomes. Let's go to Kerrang, where Mandy Hutchinson is the CEO of the Northern District Community 
Community Health Centre. Mandy, you've been listening to this and you guys, you are a hardworking team and you are so passionate about health in your community. What does prevention look like in Kerrang, do you think? Oh, look, um, prevention, thanks for having me, Rochelle, and hello, Sandra. G'day. We're big fans of Vic Health. Um, <laughs> and so we, we utilise a lot of the tools that Vic Health um, have made available to community health organisations across the state. Oh, awesome. Um, and for us, you know, um, it, it's really, you know, but we also do it in a place-based way. So we really try and listen to our young people and, and see, you know, co-design sort of opportunities um, to sort of in, increase their health and control over their their futures I suppose because for us of course um, our young people are incredibly important and that became so abundantly clear um, during recent floods where they were our our workforce um, with sandbagging and um, yep. they were just mm. incredible so um, for us you know our young people often have to go away for life you know um, once they reach a certain age, you know, for either for apprenticeships or for further education or for jobs. Um, so it's really incumbent on us to make sure that they're healthy and connected and happy. Um, and we hope that they may come back to our communities mm. um, later in life. So this is very important work for us, Rochelle. Um, and uh, we do lots of things. Um, for example, at the moment, we're doing a team gym um, in collaboration with some local gyms where young people can come and join up and um, go through a series of um, workouts and things that's like that. Great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Great idea. Um, which is great. Um, we, we do things like, um, oh, you know, lunchbox challenges. And we do this beautiful little one at the moment supporting um, young uh, businesses, small businesses about lunch on us. So people apply and they get a beautiful, healthy meal um, delivered to their workplace, which during, you know, after COVID. These are great ideas. Yeah, there's so many good ideas. I could talk all day. (laughs) Mandy, can I ask ask you a question? So the government, the federal government's thinking about this new national body, a kind of agency probably in Canberra, looking at supporting amazing people and leaders like yourself across the country they're designing it as we speak. I mean, what what would make your life easier? What what do you want to see as the kind of top priorities for a new federal agency supporting health promotion and prevention? Look, what would make our lives a lot easier is, you know, we spend a lot of time advocating for our community and for seeking funding to run these programs. Um, And so for us, you know, being able to actually deeply understand what we're being challenged with, so... Mm. um, you know, partnering with like an agency like that who has the deep understanding and research and knowledge so that we can be developing programs that actually are researched and evidence-based um, and co-designed with place-based people, that would make a huge difference to us because it feels like we often are making it up as we go, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and um, whenever we're doing something with, a, say, a university, like we're doing something with um, the Deakin University, the, uh, the Comprehensive Monitoring Program, um, which is this gorgeous program about doing... Um, Uh, getting data from different cohorts from, you know, um, toddlers all the way through to adults um, and then monitoring how they're travelling and then putting in programs to try and make sure that they're, you know, meeting all the right things. And, you know, this sort of work is is for us life-changing because we think finally we're, we're... sort of developing the tools and the assets that we need for our young people to thrive and grow. And isn't it making an impact, Mandy? I mean, when we talk about these sort of changes, these aren't instantaneous. You know, you're working Mm. with communities yeah. and shops and gyms and whatever it yeah. may be to just lead yeah. healthier lives that in mm. the that's prevention right but it takes yeah. a long time and it's it doesn't it doesn't show off prevention, you know. It's just kind of doing its thing in the background, right? <laughs> well, and often, often the best thing you're hoping for is nothing at all. Nothing. You're hoping, you know, you don't end up with disease, which is That's hard right. to kind of market or to promote back to you know, have leaders. You no- have you noticed, Mandy, just a, a healthier community, a happier community? Well, that's what we want to notice. And we we do, like, because of this sort of, because we can use the data, we can start seeing whether we're actually making an impact Mm. or not. But you're right. It is such a long, it's a long goal. It's a a long program. And, um, you know, and, 
And so it is, it's not as sexy as, um, you know, building a hospital. Um, yet the investment is so important. And I feel like you can see it. Like we use this as a simple thing called the five ways to wellbeing um, in everything we do. And I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but we've got a, like a, one of these magnets on every fridge, I reckon, um, right across our community. Um, we do it, you know, walk to school programs and all those sorts of things. And they're just such simple health promotion messages that mm. I, I'm sure like all my children know, you know, what the five ways yeah. are. Whenever I induct someone into our organisation, I talk about the five ways. That's and, awesome. And, you know, I think it's that sort of um, story, that narrative that we need to get into people's... Absolutely. Yeah, young people's heads. Yeah. And just finally, Mandy, I mean, the role of community health in general, there's not... We don't have a heap of community health centres dotted across Victoria. Kerrang is one of them. And they yeah. are so vital mm. in the chain of our health system because community health centres... I guess, thrive on prevention, Mandy, don't they? And you're helping take that pressure off hospital systems and especially in areas like regional Victoria where there are fewer hospital systems, Mm. there are fewer staff as well. So the role, I guess, how important is the role of community health? Well, it's so incredibly important. I mean, I, you know, I love the work that we do, but we, and we work in such great partnership with our, with our little communities that we work in, you know, with our neighbourhood houses and our schools and, you know, our local government, you know, we cross the boundaries of, you know, we're not just st- sticking to health. We're talking about every facet of people's lives. And this is where we're uniquely positioned. Um, and right Amazing. across, you know, rural and regional Victoria, we, we work really strongly together as well um, as a community health sector and also with our metro community health services. And there's such great knowledge, like, you know, in Bendigo, they're doing such beautiful things with our ref- refugee communities. And for us, we've got a really strong relationship with our um, elders and our emerging leaders. And we co-designed a, a program for young people where we're going to make sure that they've got their superhero capes um yeah, ultra awesome. you know you guys are amazing the rest of their lives. so there's just so many good examples of how community health is um so well connected yeah. to community that we can make well, thank well you done. for your amazing work yeah Mandy, Mandy yeah. congratulations and I mean this is what we need isn't it when we look yeah. at the center for disease control and what is prevention what does it look like Mandy, Drive to Mandy Kerrang. is what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Drive to Kerrang. Mandy Hutchinson, the CEO of the Northern She's District amazing. Community Health Centre yeah. in Kerrang. So many texts on this. The Royal Children's Hospital has a major fast food retailer within its building. What hope have we got? And another saying, I think there's confusion at the moment around what is healthy. I've been caught out in mm. that vortex of clean, green, superfood, etc. Worried about everything uh, from FODMAPs to lactose to gluten intolerant, you name it. There is confusion around health at the moment. Oh, huge amount of confusion. And and I think, again, there's a lack of um, clarity and protections in this space. I mean, you're allowed to put natural... Uh, you're allowed to put sugar-free on a product that's one-third sugar. We, we looked at this on the series with Magda. I mean, there was, a, there was a muesli bar that was like a third sugar, and yet it had no added sugar on the packaging through a loophole. Um, you know, I think we need to... There, there need to be kind of things that government does. We need to probably look at better supporting kids through programs in schools, including the Stephanie Alexander program. We need to look at how we provide better quality lunches at schools and maybe in workplaces, mm-hmm. like we heard from previous caller. Lots um, of people are the, saying, go Murray, these, go oh, yeah, Murray. Go Murray. <laughs> you know, all of these need to be on the national agenda and part of a bigger conversation about how we really support Australians to live healthier lives. You mentioned lunches there and Anne in Brunswick said exact same thing. Having time set aside for only eating at school lunchtimes is important mm. for both the students and the staff. In the UK, they all sit down to dinner in the dining hall. It was so relaxing and you had a proper break in the middle of the day, even if it was only 15 or 20 minutes. And the idea of providing school lunches by the school to sit down, like what Anne in Brunswick was saying, has been thrown around a lot in this country. Not only could you then regulate healthy food but the idea of consciously conscious eating you know so not just running around with a muesli bar or some kind of packet food sitting down and understanding what you're eating and it's such an important part of a child's development their you know we know that their their performance school performance their intellectual development their psychosocial and interpersonal development they're also linked to nutrition to food to the food experience and so you know why not expand that opportunity we're not we're not just teaching kids what to think and and kind of the intellectual mm-hmm. side but also how can we help them to grow you know healthy minds healthy bodies through 
food experience, food education. So, I, I mean, I'd love to see a, a school food program in Australia at scale. I think it would be probably one of the single most important investments we could make as a nation because we know that that's where the kids eat the majority of their food. It would support parents and take pressure off even household budgets at the moment. We think about inflation and the pressures on household budgets, uh, particularly communities and families doing it really tough. If they could take that lunchtime meal off their stress and agenda, know that kids are getting a really good quality nutritious meal and sitting down and sharing it with everyone else and not just... So if you did the maths on that, right? So if we're talking about prevention and we're trying to turn the ship around so that our children don't die at a younger age than we will, if prevention is something like a meal provided to every state school both primary and secondary yep. in Victoria. If we did the cost analysis of that versus what it actually cost to then have that person later in life in hospital, I mean, surely the, the lunch is coming out cheaper. Way cheaper. So what we know is that as a country, we spend among the lowest as a percentage of our healthcare budget on prevention in the world. We spend about a half to a third of the UK and Canada we spend 1.3% of our healthcare budget. So it's a tiny percentage, 1.3% on prevention. We also know that for every dollar we invest in, for example, food programs, we get $14 back to the economy. Wow. So they're incredibly cost-effective. That's incredible. Uh, and, and we know that you'd get that back you know, through local procurement. We'd be able to support local farmers, local producers, local um, you know, shops and retailers. Uh, but you get it back also mm. through school performance, through health, yeah, health saving it. costs, you know, and it'll be extended life. Yeah. Sunhills in Kilo East. Good morning. Good morning. What did you Good. want to say? So I um broadly looking at a national approach, I think food immunization and exercise, in my opinion, are the three biggest bang for your mm. bucks if we can get them. Um food look it's difficult to ban in our society, a capitalistic society, when fast foods are making profit. My approach would be more to, to tax them. And to, to, that'll be a difficult thing to decide which foods to tax. But if someone, if the institute could come up with some formula in that area, yeah. we could use that budget to use school, educate, uh, educate children at school through maybe community health centers or some the centre itself, the National Centre, which Absolutely. is being established. Absolutely. Great, yeah, great And ideas. Sunil, even yeah. people were saying, like, even putting stricter regulations on supermarkets in terms of what they can put on sale and mm. where they position things as well. Louise is in Kilmore. Morning. Uh, morning. How are you guys? Well, what do you want to say? Um, I was just up. I've found your conversation really interesting and um, often, you know, we talk about healthy food and unhealthy food and you mentioned just before it does actually get quite complex so when you start looking into what is healthy because there's so many arguments I mean there's the obvious unhealthy food but then you get into the healthy food and there's so many arguments um, from different camps about what is a healthy diet for, for, for a human you walk in the supermarket and you just think what do I do I mean mm. often like I've I'm from a research background and I've read um research papers on, you know, uh, vegetable oils being no good. And if you go down, a lot of the healthy, marketed, healthy alternatives to, to bread and all those sort of things, you've got your seed biscuits and all that sort of thing, they all have vegetable oil in them. <laughs> and it, I think you, when you start getting to that, that's when you start, it, it starts being, making it really hard. You sort of think, well, what do I give my family? Because mm. what really is the best? the most healthy food aside from you know fresh veggies and and all that sort of thing you have to have some sort of fiber and all that in your diet as well but what is it yeah (laughs) understanding and and addressing some of these issues you know making good food cheaper supporting farmers to produce that making sure that it's making it to market making sure that it's available in all suburbs and postcodes not just wealthier inner city postcodes you know these are some of the really challenging big topics that I think a, a federal agency, you know, like a CDC needs to needs to provide leadership around because at the moment it largely falls through the gaps. We've got a national preventative health strategy and kind of very little is happening yeah. as a result. Well, I hope the Centre for Disease Control is listening right well, now, right? And then making <laughs> we notes. We hope the government's listening as they build it, yeah. Well, because... There's some really good, and there we are always know this. So often the solutions are already yeah, there, right? Yeah. There are people on the community that care and love 
yep. the people of the town, the people within their family, and they are doing great work. We just need to give them the resources, the skills, uh, the totally money agree. in yeah. order to be able to roll that out and for other people to learn from it yeah. as well. This is from Kath says in Coburg. She says, morning, public outdoor space are good for home lunch mm. eating. When I started working in the 1980s in Collins Street, we would buy lunch only once a week, but we would sit outside to, to eat quite often. We had places like the City Square and many other outdoor areas to sit outside and eat our homemade lunches. Now these days, it hardly exists. Mm. So much pressure to buy less healthy options. There's plenty of wonderful ideas coming through. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Michelle Hunt and Dr Sandro DeMeo with you talking about how we turn the ship around and preventative medicine. How do we stop and how do we ensure that our kids will not be the first generation in history to have a shorter life expectancy than their parents? And unfortunately, that's the reality out of years of studies that have just come through. Terry Dwyer is a professional fellow at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute at the Royal Children's Hospital and also a professor at Oxford University. Terry, a warm welcome to you. I mean, you would know all of this and I dare say you would say the, the writing has been on the wall for some time. You've been studying and tracking kids since 1985, right through to adulthood. What have you discovered? Well, look, first of all, no, I don't know everything about what you've been talking about, which is how to turn the ship around. It sounds as though there's a lot of interest in it and that shows people have known for a long while that this is important. What, what I have to comment on is why it is so important and why now, why this year we should be making this a priority. Mm. And the study you mentioned is a study that I became involved in in the early 80s, so 40 years ago, in um, measuring the, the lifestyle and what health factors we could measure in children around Australia. And we conducted a, a national study uh, supported by all the education departments, but as well as uh, broad measures of things like how fit children were, what their height and weight and other things were. We, we measured things at that time quite, quite unusual, like the risk factors for heart disease and stroke that adults are measured for, mm. blood pressure, mm. cholesterol, that sort of thing. And that study became part of a global consortium in the early 2000s when we realised that around the world there were seven studies that had done something similar with a total of 40,000 children wow. of school age and we decided that we would start to pull our data and follow those children as they became adults and went into middle age and quite recently and um, I've spoken recently to Sandra about this. Quite quite recently, we published a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is the world's biggest medical journal, showing that those measurements we made at school age on children and the, those risk factors I mentioned, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, high body mass index, smoking in adolescence, those risk factors more strongly predicted the risk of having a, a heart attack or a stroke in middle age than we would have anticipated. We did, the, we did the study because we thought it was possible, but we, we didn't know what the results would be until we obtained them, and there had been no previous study. This is the first that actually... So what do we do with this me- information now? Well, I mean, but I think what also what Terry is saying is quite astounding, which is that, yes. you know, we, if we don't invest early, if we don't invest in the health of kids and prevention really early in life, then we miss a huge opportunity that much of our health later in life actually stems from the opportunities that we're given as a child. And, and I think this brings up this same conversation of we need to invest earlier and we need to shift a greater focus, mm. as the Grattan Institute report said, from disease and from healthcare to, you know, prevention and and staying healthy, uh, and how do we do that within you know the the, the stresses and and um, uh, restrictions mm. that governments are under? But but how do we support that? How do we actually have that national conversation? So Terry, I mean, if you were surprised. And that's not, you sort of don't want the researcher to be surprised in a negative way by the outcomes of what was actually an incredibly long study. What do you want done with it now? You have these facts, you have these people whose lives you've been tracking since 1985. What can we do with this information? Well, I think what this information does is, is give 
sort of the power to the the concept that we must do something. The, these children we followed, and these they're born in the roughly the 1960s, 70s, uh, in the study. So these are people who are uh, now the age of many of your listeners. Mm. What it showed was that those who had the highest levels of risk factors in childhood had six times the risk of the children who had the lower levels. So this is not trivial. And 30% of them by about age 50 had either had a heart attack or stroke Mm. who were in that high risk group. So uh, to me, what this does, this doesn't change the narrative except in the sense that it says it's not we're not in a position now where we can put this off and say, mm. well, let's look at this in 10 years' time. This evidence says and tells a parent that what happens in childhood, which is not solely the responsibility of the child, has a big effect on the risk of a very, very serious disease later in life. And it's not necessary because we know some yeah. of the things to do. And in terms of urgency, my the point that you started your comment to me on, I just thought I'd give the evidence, we, we've... A very, um, a very distinguished Australian um, scientist, Alan Lopez, who's at the University of Melbourne, has recently shown, and by this I mean shown uh, since 2020, that the declines in life, uh, the increases in life expectancy that Australia has experienced for the last 40 years, and you know, it's remarkable. Australian mm. men in the late 60s had a life expectancy of 66 to 67 years. It's now up to 80. Now, this has been a fantastic fantastic progress and it's just stopped it's just started to level off and when you break it down into when people were born those who were born after 1970 have higher rates admittedly they're still young but at these younger ages higher rates of cardiovascular disease death than their predecessors this evidence comes at the same time as the new england journal paper and to me the this is compelling. It mm. it, it doesn't. I just hope that it gets that, that the message gets through because yeah. it is. I mean, I think you use the word and rightly so. Urgency there, Terry. Thank you so much, Terry yeah, Dwyer, professional. Uh, sorry, profession, professor, Pro- fellow. <laughs> thank you, at the Murdoch Children's also Research Institute and the Royal Children's Hospital. But look, there's a text here from a mum. It says, Rochelle and Sandro, my daughter likes raw veg in her lunchbox, but with snow peas at eight dollars a packet Mm. for a small capsicum it's three dollars for a one-off cucumber it's four dollars a pop it's hard to afford these foods for her daily consumption it's sad when snow peas have to be a sometimes food because a box of 24 muesli bars costs a lot less i'm a single mum that works to afford vegetables for my daughter i can't go without them yeah well i think that that just shows us again that this is not about pointing the finger or blaming individuals or families or mums and dads. You know, there is not a parent in Australia who doesn't want the best for their kids. And yet, as Professor Dwyer said, the problem is getting worse. Kids are getting heart disease younger and people may may soon start dying younger. So for me, the take-home message is governments need to do more and and they need to kind of, as Magda would say, you know, stiffen their spine in, in also pushing back against things like the density of fast food outlets in our in our neighbourhoods, you know, access to fresh food and, and even things like should we be taxing sugary drinks and subsidising fresh food to make it cheaper for families? And a lot of today's discussion has come as a result of a report by the Grattan Institute. Peter Brearden is a health and aged care program director at Grattan. Peter, I've written down words like alarming, frightening, urgent. Some of the information and some of the statistics that have come out out of this report we really don't want to hear but that's the reality i guess what were some of the top line areas of this report that concerned you yeah look you're right this is a crisis but it's a sort of slow moving invisible crisis um and you know we looked at the the massive rate of chronic disease it's going up uh, it causes the vast majority of deaths um illness uh, in australia but i guess the good news is and as you've heard from all your inspiring guests and callers 40% of that massive chronic disease burden is is caused by factors that can be reduced. Um, and as I say, we've heard these great examples. We know a lot of things worked. You've talked about many of them on this program. So our report really then focuses on how can we use the creation of this Australian Centre for Disease Control 
to actually build the system that government mm. needs mm. to take action at scale. So how do we do at- that? What what could we do? Because this is the thing, right? It could be glass half empty, glass half full when it comes to this new disease control centre. How do we now morph it into something that's based on prevention and how do, will that help the mum that just sent a text in saying she can't afford snow peas for a kid's lunchbox? Yeah, I think that's the key question. How can we set up this organisation to make a real difference? So our proposal is, firstly, it has to have a really strong focus on chronic disease prevention, the kind of things we're talking about, not just infectious disease prevention. The second is it has to be really independent and have the resources to have a credible, independent expert voice um, to push back against those vested interests that um, were just referenced. And then what it should do is it should be the expert voice that says to government and says to the community, here's what works, here's the payoff. And then that'll put pressure on governments to do the right thing when it comes to investing in programs, when it comes to setting the rules and regulations that make it easier to make healthy choices. So that'll get us halfway there. But then we're also calling on the government to step up and fund the things that this new body Mm. recommends. So we say there should be a national funding agreement the Commonwealth and the states should both pitch in and it should increase investment over time. And the real answer is here, if you look at our health system, we have these systems for government action and investment for medicines, for treatments. We don't have that system for prevention. We don't have somebody crunching all the data and saying, these are the top things that work. These are the things government must do. And then we don't have that sustainable growing funding to start to Mm. do more in prevention and make people healthier and reduce the pressure on all of our systems of health. That's going to take some big decisions, though. Like, we've created a pretty good list today of things that can be done, and that's coming through from people in the community and some of the issues that Sandro has highlighted. It feels like we need the government on board. So, for example, I think the thing that I'm going to take away today is that if we just stopped any junk food advertising on public transport and outside of schools, that that would have a huge impact. Mm. If you then couple that, Peter, with work that's being done at the new disease control centre, then just two things alone are going to have a huge impact. Look, that's right. We would see the the Centre for Disease Control saying, okay, what's the evidence on reducing advertising of junk food, how much benefit will it have? And then they would regularly table reports on these kind of interventions in parliament so everyone can see the benefit. And then if government set up this agreement to fund things, that'd be the other part of the equation. So you're right, there's actually dozens of great proven things that can work. So the CDC has got its kind of work agenda there to to crunch the numbers, make the proposals, put them before government and the community. But There is a sense of possibility here because the government should be commended for the commitment to set up the CDC. I mean, this does create the opportunity, but it can't just be an agency that sits there doing analysis off to the side. It has to be relevant to government decisions, has to be properly funded. But it is a really big opportunity. And one thing that we haven't discussed here, both Peter and Sandro, is exercise and access to exercise and whether that be informal or formal. But we also know that a lot of families now are having to drop out of formal exercise group activity Mm. because it's expensive and some codes are more expensive than others. I mean, where does exercise fit into prevention and making that accessible and affordable? Well, it's definitely part of the equation and um, you know we know that some of the formal exercise programs um, you know cost a bit of money and they're not accessible to everyone for that reason but we also know there's things governments can do to make incidental exercise um, that you just do as you're doing other things um, easier to do Uh, the sort of urban design things and public transport things that mean active transport uh, can be an easier option for a lot of people so that's an area of policy that's important too one of the things we say is this new CDC, it shouldn't just focus on sort of the things the health minister does. Mm. It should also look at taxation and the affordability of different products we've talked about. It should also look at regulation, about advertising and labelling, which your guests have talked about, but also these things about transport and urban planning. So it should be set up to have that broad remit Mm. so that it can get all the drivers of health um, to, to work in the right direction. Yeah. We Peter, spoke about that, didn't we? Town planning and our health. We did. And, and Peter, I mean, at the moment, we, we have a health minister, we have a department of health, we have a lot of infrastructure. People might be scratching their heads and thinking, gosh, we, we already have a big government. Um, and yet this really important critical issue that's creeping up on us, this slow-moving invisible crisis, as you call it, has slipped between the cracks. 
I mean, do you how how much do you think this is a game changer? Do you think this can really make a difference for Australia and for the governance and and you know spot you know put a put a light on this issue once and for all? I really think it can, and it takes us back to this question of why why isn't government acting? Why is prevention so hard? There's a few reasons. The gains are in the future, so they don't, then you know most governments aren't going to be around in five, ten, twenty years when the gains come to light, and they've always got these urgent problems in health or elsewhere to sort of fix the problem in the emergency department. And then there's, you know, there are um, industries that push back on change that might hurt their profits. And that's why having this independent body is quite important because in other areas of government decision-making where we really need government to focus on long-term gains, we do often have these independent bodies to push them. Mm-hmm. If you think about climate change, there's this independent climate change authority. The Reserve Bank's pretty unpopular right now in pushing up interest mm-hmm. rates. But, but it's independent. Is, yeah. <laughs> but it's independent and, and it is that does likely? Is, is it likely that it, it will, the disease centre, and someone here said surely the new body should be called the Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. So maybe <laughs> well, it is control and prevention, to be fair. We, <laughs> and, and, and lots of jokes about the CDC, the ACDC as well, the Australian Centre for Disease. This is easy to remember. <laughs> I mean, is there a guarantee just finally, Peter, that there will be an independent body that oversees this to ensure that the community is served in the way that it deserves? I don't think there is a guarantee. The government put out a paper asking for ideas um, last year about this body and they said, we don't really want your ideas about the governance set up or whether it's independence, um, whether it's set up to be independent. So it's it's not locked in, but I think it's going to be really important for all the reasons mm. we've talked about. Yeah. Can people access, I know the report was embargoed until today, but if there is a, a family, a workplace, a, a school that's listening right now, can they access this research and, and be able to go through it and make their own implementations, Peter? Yeah, they certainly can. It's at the Grattan website. Um, I think if you just Google Grattan Highway to Health, that's a little ACDC <laughs> reference there, um, they'll be able to find it there. Um, and, you know, it's a lot about what the problem is and how this organisation can be set up for success. Mm. But I'd say that, um, you know, also websites like um, Sandra's there at Vic, um, Vic Health, uh, they also have lots of great information yeah. for people about yeah. um, how to stay yeah. healthy. And, there's a, and there's a great article in the conversation that Peter wrote today as well. I'd recommend uh, checking out as, you know, on the issue. Peter, thanks so much. We appreciate your time and your insights. Thanks for the great conversation. Peter Braden, he's the Health and Aged Care Program Director at the Grattan Institute. And we want to get off the highway to hell, Dr. Sandro DeMaio. You know, it's not... It's the highway to health. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the pun. Well, this ACDC, is the... the Australian Centres for Disease Control, highway, highway to, health. to health. I mean, these guys... But well, currently it's on the highway to hell. Like, <laughs> well, it really is. Yeah, it's, it's scary. And I think the opportunities are huge, but the risks are also equally enormous. And, and I think, as Professor Dwyer said, now is, you know, if not now, when? We have to be the generation of leaders and, and public and Australia that, that decides to take a different path and put kids on a healthier trajectory. Be like Murray. There's so much oh, love coming in Murray's from Murray. So, so Murray, just, I want Maybe you to you know that. Maybe you should run the people, CDC. Oh, I think so. Let's get Murray yeah, back on the phone. Get him to Canberra. As always, Dr. Sandro DiMaio, CEO of Vic Health. Thank you so much for today. It's Thank such you for having me. Such an important conversation. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, take care and we'll speak to you soon.